Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. We hope you'll discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday, and so is tomorrow, and every day from now until forever. Do you guys ever think about dying? Why? Why? How about because this is the most important thing to ever happen in the history of the world? Our work here will ensure a peace mankind has never seen. If somebody builds a bigger one. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. His house has a very good vibe. Stop the vehicle, Sergeant. We don't want to go down this road. You're out of your bounds, Ahmed. You're here to translate. Actually, I'm here to interpret. What's going on? Why are these men looking at me? Yeah, they're also staring at me. Humans only have one ending. Get that for me! Ideas live forever. What's up, Liquid Church? So glad you're here for week two of our series at the movies. I'm Pastor Tim. If we haven't met, I have a chance to serve as one of the pastors here at Liquid. Welcome. So glad you're here. I'm actually in Chicago today. My wife, Colleen, and I are driving our daughter, Chase, back to college for her senior year. We can't believe it. Absolutely incredible. But you're going to be blessed because I invited my good friend, Brian Rowe, to come teach you about the movie, The Covenant from the God's Word Perspective. Now, Brian, you can see here, he's a pastor. He's been a pastor for over 20 years, lives down in Florida with his wife, Bree. They've been married 18 years. They've got three kids from the ages of 13 down to 10. And Pastor Brian is one of my favorite young leaders. He has equipped young adults all over the nation, uh, including ours here at the porch. And uh, he just has a real passion for bringing God's Word to life particularly for young adults, but you're going to love him because I learn a lot from him every time he speaks. He's going to open God's word and we're going to look at what I think is the sleeper hit of the summer, the movie, The Covenant. If you haven't seen it, you can stream it online. It's a fantastic movie. And today I think you're not just going to be entertained, but you're going to learn a lot from the word of God. So Liquid Church, would you put your hands together? Give a big warm liquid welcome to my good friend, Pastor Brian Rowe. What's up, Liquid Church? Hey, my name is Brian. I'm so thrilled to be with you guys this weekend. Can I, can I just say this before I get started? I love your church. I do. And I love your pastor. He's coached me on everything from ministry to hair care. Let's be honest, he's an expert in both, right? And it's not every day that you find a leader with bold enough vision to saturate the entire state of New Jersey with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, that's the definition of audacious. Am I right? 
But, but I will say this. I feel like I'm a little bit out of my league here. You may not know this if you were here last week, Tim shared this, but he actually minored in, t in film studies working at a screenwriting institute in Burbank, California during his senior year in college. How cool is that? Now listen, admittedly, I may not have the same credentials, but I did study at another prestigious institution back in the 90s, you may have heard of it, Blockbuster Video, come on somebody. Yeah, I know you had some wild Friday nights back then like I did. Well, the reason I tell you that is because like Pastor Tim, I am a bit of a movie buff. I believe that movies have a way of revealing the deeper longings of the human heart, which is why I'm so excited to be a part of this At The Movie series. Now, today I wanna to introduce you to a film called The Covenant. Now, if you're looking for a warm and fuzzy, feel-good movie to watch with your family this summer, this is not it. I would give this one a hard pass, all right? But if you're looking for a gritty, suspenseful thriller that will leave you thinking for days to come, have I got the film for you. Now listen, The Covenant is not necessarily based on a true story, but it is based on a true concept. See, during the war in Afghanistan, U.S. forces were assigned local Afghan interpreters. And in exchange for their services, those interpreters were promised visas to extricate their families from war-torn Afghanistan. And the Covenant highlights one such relationship between Special Ops Sergeant John Finley, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, and his interpreter, Ahmed. Take a look at the trailer. John, you have tellers approaching. I still don't remember a thing. I don't remember any of it. I only remember the interpreter. Money isn't the reason he wants this job. The Taliban killed his son. Stop the vehicle, Sergeant. We don't want to go down this road. You're out of your bounds, Ahmed. You're here to translate. Actually, I'm here to interpret. John, you have tellers approaching. For three weeks, this family believed you were dead. We owe that man your life. There wasn't enough room to carry me across those mountains. Now he's hiding in a hole somewhere. I should be in that hole. You could stand me about the gates of Everything all right, John? No, everything's not all right. There is a hook in me. Ahmed and his family are in trouble. We can't intervene. I am gonna have to get him out myself. Listen, you're gonna be alone. You gotta adapt. Here's what you got. If you can give me the location, if I can get him out of the country. It's too dangerous. You've become very popular with the Taliban. I miss you. Love you, Daddy. Love you, Daddy. You think if I could be free of this debt, I wouldn't be? You think I have a choice? There is no choice. No, I won't back down. How radical must this alliance have been? I mean, think about it. You've got John Finley, a decorated Ameri American military leader, and Ahmed, a meager Afghan civilian. 
Like Pastor Tim said last week, this movie has strong Good Samaritan vibes. Let me tell you, one of the reasons I love this movie is because in many ways, the relationship between Sergeant Finley and his interpreter mirrors our relationship with God. It begins as transactional, but over time becomes relational. In the beginning, it looks a lot like a contract, but in the end, it looks a lot more like a covenant. Now, covenant is not a common word in our modern day vernacular, is it? We don't go throwing that around very often, but it was a very common word in the ancient world. In fact, the word covenant is referenced in the Bible more than 290 times from Genesis to the maps. Clearly, it, it has a lot of importance to God, doesn't it? Now, what is a covenant? A covenant is a solemn agreement between two parties for the purposes of creating and maintaining a successful relationship. Let me say that again in case you're taking notes. What is covenant? A covenant is a solemn agreement between two parties for the purposes of creating and maintaining a successful relationship. Can I take you back to high school for a moment? Does anybody remember what the abbrevi abbreviation DTR means? anybody remember this? It stood for determine the relationship. You remember this? It was that conversation you'd have with your significant other when you're trying to figure out where things are headed. Like, are we heading toward the friend zone or the end zone? Like, where are we going here, right? Some of you were traumatized by those conversations, were you? I know, you're still in therapy, right? Well, check this out. Listen, covenant is God's way of determining the relationship he has with us. It's his way of expressing. He has no interest in, in a superficial, casual relationship. No. Look at me. What God wants with you is a deeply profound, intimately significant relationship. I need you to get this. Now, let me say this before we jump into the movie. I maintain that there are scores of people who think they are in a covenant relationship with God, but they really aren't. Like they're in a relationship with God, but it's on their terms, not his. Or perhaps their relationship was inherited from their parents or grandparents, but never personally chosen. Listen, whatever the case may be for you today, I want to offer you three questions to simply help you assess your relationship with God. Let me be clear, Liquid Church. My desire today is not to give you some rich discourse in, you know, covenant theology, but rather simply just to help you evaluate your relationship with the Lord. Now, this first scene that we're about to watch features John Finley's team preparing for a special operation. And as they prepare to embark on this crucial mission, they're gathering intel about what lies ahead. Let's watch. The first ID location is 30 clicks, one hour's drive on a straight track, and then we reach a fork in the road and bang a left. Excuse me? Sorry. Yeah, what is it, honey? When we reach the fork in the road, my feeling is that the quickest route is to turn right, even though left is shorter as the crow flies. Well, quickest why? According to the map, it's not. Uh, in the last rainfalls, most of the road on the left got washed away. What do you think, Chizzy? I guess so. There's no intel to confirm or deny. But how much time does it add to the journey? About 20 minutes, 30 tops. All right, so we got a plan. Right is right. Push that to the hires. Cool. Okay, let's move out. Right, let's go. Sergeant Tilly, can you please stop the vehicle? Excuse me? I need to speak to you, Sergeant. We don't stop the vehicles, we keep moving. I think we have a problem. Please stop the vehicle, Sergeant. Please stop the truck, Jesse. 
thinking about all the possible reasons why he'd take this route. All the answers smell bad. He lied about the road being washed out. The rainfalls didn't affect this area. Had he's been vetted. You can say whatever you want, Sergeant. We just don't want to go down this road. You're out of your bounds, Ahmed. You're here to translate. Actually, I'm here to interpret. All right, you want to be right, Ahmed? Hey, Chizzy, check the drone. On it. JJ, Tomcat, go up to the top of those rocks there and tell me what you see. Viper 6-2, Viper 6-2, this is Havoc 3-3. Havoc 3-3, this is Viper 6-2. Roger, we need live imagery now. Why have we stopped? The road is safe. I haven't got 10 minutes. We need the imagery now. John, you're not gonna like this. What is it? Looks like an ambush. Tell a kill box eight clicks up this road. All right, let's turn scene around. Get back to base. Coffee. Okay, let me ask you this. If you were in Sergeant Finley's position, would you have done the same thing? Would you have chosen the same road? I would have. I'm pretty sure we all would have. In fact, I'm pretty sure we already have many times. The Bible says it this way in the book of Proverbs. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but watch this, its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems Right, so have you ever followed a road that seemed right to you? Maybe you've been there, you were just following someone's advice or following some political ideology or following your heart, but one way or another, it led you directly into an ambush. See, I think many times in life, we're faced with a decision, and in that moment, we hear two conflicting voices. There's the voice of the enemy telling us, hey, you're gonna wanna avoid that road. <laughs> like the road of purity, it's washed out. The road of sacrifice, washed out. The road of humility, oh, that's been washed out for a long time. But there's another way. And so we go the way that seems right to us at the time, but then at some point, the Holy Spirit gets your attention and says, ah, stop the truck, pump the brakes. That was bad intel. Think about it, pray about it, seek my word, seek wise counsel. This is leading directly into an ambush. And look at me, who you choose to trust in that moment and spell the difference between life and death. Here's the first question I want to ask you today. Whose intel are you trusting? Whose intel are you trusting? Are you trusting what the world says or what the Word says? Are you following your heart or following your Savior? Because let's be honest, the, the two are rarely aligned, right? Now listen, every day you are bombarded with bad intel. And the enemy uses everything he can to redirect you. Social media, bad advice, gossip, heck, even your own feelings. <laughs> the New Testament book of James even tells us that it's our own selfish desires that lead us towards sin and death. This is why again and again and again, God reminds us that trusting his intel is the way to go. Look at what the prophet Isaiah tells us. He says, this is what the Lord says. Your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you, and watch this, leads you along the paths you should follow. Understand this. God can see ambushes around the corners of your life that you cannot see. Many times in life when God reroutes you, it's not because he doesn't love you and doesn't want you to have any fun. It's because he loves you enough to tell you where that fun is taking you. 
Now, I love the part in this scene where John says to Ahmed, I brought you here to translate. And Ahmed claps back. He says, actually, I'm here to interpret. And you might be thinking, what's the difference? They seem synonymous. Well, I dug into this and I found out that translating is simply concerned with what's being said, whereas interpreting is more concerned not just with what's being said, but why it's being said in the first place. In other words, translation is about text, whereas interpretation is about subtext. You might be wondering, Brian, what does this have to do with my relationship with God? So often, we come to God only for the what, right? God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my future? What relationship do you want me to step into? What college do you want me to attend? What city do you want me to move to? What investment do you want me to make? God, what do you want me to do? And, and, and look at me. It's not that God is unconcerned with what you ought to do. It's not that he's unconcerned with which road you ought to take. It's that he's also concerned with the why. In the scripture that we read a moment ago, Isaiah told us that God shows us what path to take. But not only that, he also shows us why it's good for us in the first place. Sometimes it takes a few miles, doesn't it? We don't always understand right at, right at the beginning, but eventually we begin to see why God led us in a different direction than the one we would have chosen had we decided to take the road that seemed right to us at the time. Listen, in a covenant relationship with God, you learn to vet all of the intel that comes your way, rendering it through God's word, God's spirit, God's people, and God's plan. Whose intel are you trusting? Now, luckily, Sergeant Finley chooses to trust the intel of his interpreter and avoids the ambush awaiting his team. Well, this time anyway. Their next operation, which is also based on bad intel, leads directly into an ambush that wipes out Sergeant Finley's entire team and leaves him critically wounded. The only man left standing is Ahmed the interpreter, and what he does next, nobody saw coming. Take a look. John. I'm going home. It's gonna be a long journey. We can't take the roads. They know we're here. More men will be coming here in trucks.
62 miles. 62 miles. That's the distance that Ahmed carried John Finley through mountainous terrain, through Taliban strongholds, scrounging for food and water, risking life and limb, all to save a man who barely trusted him in the first place. And yet, that is nothing compared to what Christ Jesus did for you and I. Look what the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter one. It says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who, he, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Now, implicit in this verse is the idea that in order to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness, Christ would have needed to leave heaven and enter the kingdom of darkness Himself. Now, that may not all sound all that impressive until you consider what was required in order for this to take place. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus set aside his divine privileges, not his divinity, don't get it twisted, but he set aside his divine privileges, leaving the luxurious accommodations of heaven to be born in a barn to peasant level teenagers amidst animals and animal feces. He grew up in very unnotable circumstances during his adult life. He lived as a homeless nomad, spending his time teaching, healing, and serving the down and outs of society. He lived a perfectly sinless life, yet was falsely accused, arrested, whipped, and put to death by way of crucifixion, the most painful, humiliating death that one could possibly endure. Until three days later, he was resurrected proving once and for all that sin and death are no match for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Come on, every single campus. Are you grateful that we have a Jesus who is alive and defeated death in the grave? I love how author David Lomas says it. He says, when we call out to Jesus for rescue, that is exactly what happens. Immediately we are rescued. Jesus, God's eternal word and the one in whom we, we and all creation live and move and have our being is the only one who can stage such a rescue mission. I think through this, I think about a specific verse in the book of Romans. Romans 5, 6 says it this way. When we were utterly helpless. I gotta read that again. Y'all didn't get it. When we were utterly helpless. Come on, let this sink into your heart. While we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Doesn't that sound like where John Finley was at in the scene we saw a moment ago? He was utterly helpless. He was too beat up and banged up to help himself, wasn't he? And rescue wasn't going to come from anywhere else other than his interpreter. Now, can you imagine if at that moment he just said, no thanks, bro, I'm good. <laughs> or what if he just said, uh, I I I've got this or I'll, I'll find help somewhere else. How ridiculous would that have been, right? But we do this all the time. Here's the second question I want to ask you today. Where do you turn for rescue? Where do you turn for rescue? See, we may, we may never find ourselves in exactly the same situation as John Finley, but we've all been in similar situations, haven't we? Broke, busted, and disgusted because of the choices we made in our lives. And in that moment, watch this, each of us defaults to a rescue plan. 
We do. I, you may not even realize that you do this, but I guarantee there is a rescue protocol that you default to. Something that makes you feel better overnight, even if it doesn't make you better over time. What is it for you? Maybe it's a pill or a bottle. Perhaps it's something that you scroll through on a screen. Maybe it's bouncing from one club to the next or one bed to the next. Maybe it's something that's seemingly simple and harmless like gossiping, shopping, uh, binge eating, or working out. I, I don't know what it is for you, but point is we all have something or someone or somewhere that we turn to when the going gets tough. What is it for you? Toxic thinking behind this is the idea that using the means of this world, we can somehow rescue ourselves. Did you know that 80% of Americans believe the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is a direct quote from the Bible? Bro, that's the opposite of the gospel. God helps those who can't help themselves. Yet, so many of us still try, don't we? Now listen, I live in Florida, and if you didn't know this, Florida is known for some pretty crazy stuff. In fact, more people die in Florida each year from stuff like shark bites, lightning strikes while golfing, and being swallowed by sinkholes than anywhere else in the continental U.S. But listen, in this year alone, Florida has seen a massive rise in drownings due to rip currents. Apparently what happens is people are just out there living their best life, swimming, surfing, doing what they do, when all of a sudden they're pulled underwater by a strong undercurrent. Now what often happens at this point is a lifeguard is dispatched to, you know, swim toward the victim and, and assist with the rescue. But at that point, typically, the victim proceeds to flail in an effort to save themselves, further complicating the rescue. And so more often than not, the victim drowns not because of the initial rip current, but watch this, because of their unwillingness to surrender to their rescuer. Oh, there's a sermon in there somewhere, isn't there? Can you see the correlation? Listen, Liquid Church, when life starts pulling you under, surrender to your rescuer. Stop flailing. Stop worrying. Stop striving. Stop looking to other so-called sources of rescue. Stop waiting until all else fails. Listen, when you have a covenant relationship with the Lord, you turn to him immediately, not eventually. He is your first response, not your last resort. Where do you turn for rescue? Turn to Jesus, because only Jesus can truly carry you home. Fast forward seven weeks. John Finley is back at his luxurious mountainside home in Los Angeles, California, peacefully recovering with his family. Life is finally back to normal. He's grilling steaks, drinking beer. He's told that he's going to be receiving a medal for his distinguished service in a combat zone. How about that? Point is, he should be satisfied, but he's not. Why? Because he learns that Ahmed's family is in hiding. See, the Taliban has placed a bounty on his head. So now he and his family are living in and out of caves in order to survive. Well, Finley is understandably troubled by this news. So after unsuccessfully exhausting every necessary channel to get visas for Ahmed's family, he's called into the office of his superior. Watch what happens.
Declan. John, please have a seat. Everything all right, John? No, everything's not all right. Have a seat. I'd rather stand, if you don't mind. So, you seem to have been making a lot of noise lately. There's been a uh, official complaint. Oh, I see. You brought me here for an intervention. You think if I could be shot of this debt, I wouldn't be? That is not how this debt works. There is a hook in me. One that you cannot see. But it is there. I am going to get that man and his family out of the position that we put him in. And you're going to help me, Colonel. I saved your life eight years ago. So you're going to get those visas. I don't know how, but you're going to get them because I know you are the type of man that pays his debts. Pay your debts. Best line of the whole movie. There is a hook in me, one that you cannot see, but it is there. And the reason I love this line, the reason I love this scene is because it reminds me of so many similar scenes in the Bible. Like, when the high council in Jerusalem threatened Peter and John for preaching to the masses, they responded, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Why? Because there was a hook in them. When people asked Paul why he and his crew worked so hard to persuade others to follow Christ, he told them, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. There was a hook in Paul. And there are countless other examples like this throughout the pages of Scripture, right? Moses had a hook that drove him to free the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. David had a hook that drove him to fight Goliath. Daniel had a hook that drove him to live differently in Babylon. Nehemiah had a hook that drove him to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. Come on, I could go on, but I think you see the point, don't you? Here's the big question I want to ask you. Does grace have a hook in you? How does God's grace compel you to act? How does it drive your sense of purpose? Years ago, I heard a term that stuck with me. I think it expresses this well. It's the term holy discontent. Holy discontent. What is a holy discontent? It's when God gives you an uneasiness about something in this world. It's that firestorm of frustration that you get about something that doesn't align with God's design for humanity. Look, for Mother Teresa, it was a holy discontent for the poor. For Martin Luther King Jr., it was a holy discontent for racial inequality. For Tim Lucas, it was a holy discontent for the spiritual condition of New Jersey. For me, it's a holy discontent for emerging generations who are believing lies of this world because people are simply shying away from telling them the truth. It's a hook in me. What about you? Is there a hook in you? When I was young, I used to get up early to watch Saturday morning cartoons. I don't know if you did this or not, but it was a glorious era. 
One of my favorite Sunday morning cartoons was Popeye the Sailor Man. Anybody remember Popeye? Uh, there was one phrase that Popeye would use that I can still resonate with all these years later. Finish it if you know it. He said, that's all I can stands and I can't stands it no more. I hope some camp has got it, right? Nicely done. I've had all I can stands and I can't stands it no more. Listen to me. That right there is the epitome of a holy discontent. That's what it feels like to have a hook in you. It's when you've had all you can stands and you can't stands it no more. You know how you can tell if you have a covenant relationship with God? It's when you don't just go to church on Sunday, you decide to be the church the other six days of the week. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which, he, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, don't get it twisted. This doesn't mean that we were saved by good works, but it does mean that we are saved to do good works. In other words, God designed you in such a way that your passions and purpose would collide. Understand that you were put on earth to literally partner with God in the salvation and betterment of humanity. How cool is that? Now, listen, in this scene that we watched a moment ago, John talks a lot about debts, doesn't he? I need you to really get this. The debt of sin has already been paid. You understand that, right, Liquid Church? 2,000 years ago when Jesus paid it all on the cross of Calvary, the debt of sin was canceled once and for all. But I don't know about you, there's another debt in me. The debt of sin was replaced with the debt of gratitude. And that gratitude, that debt is like a hook that you cannot see, but it is there. And in the covenant relationship with God, there is an unmistakable hook that drives you to action. Come on, look at me. Whichever campus, however, wherever you're watching, is there a hook in you? Is there a debt of gratitude? And if so, how might God be calling you to respond? Well, the hook in Sergeant Finley led him back to Afghanistan in search of Ahmed's family. Using his sources, he finds Ahmed and single-handedly fights off the Taliban to save his family. And I love how this movie ends. They're on a plane, ready to leave the country. Ahmed glances down at his visas that represent his family's freedom. Now think about all that it took to get those visas and how long it took to get them into the hands of Ahmed and his family. And then they exchange this subtle glance. In this moment, nothing is said, but so much is expressed. There's no doubt their relationship has changed. Can the same be said for you? Can the same be said for your relationship with God? Is it merely transactional or has it become intimately relational? Does it look more like a contract on your terms or a covenant on his terms? You know, I remember when my relationship with God changed. I grew up in a very religious environment. The brand of Christianity that I was introduced to from a very young age was all about rule following and religious activity, but had very little to do with relationship. 
But the thing is, you see, I, I was actually pretty good at it, to be honest. I, I never missed a Sunday in church. I tucked in my shirt, straightened my clip-on tie, and sat up as straight as I could as in those terribly uncomfortable pews. Some of y'all remember those? Sing songs I didn't understand and listen to sermons that put me to sleep. But I did it every single Sunday as best I could because I knew that's what it took to please the Lord. But then middle school came, and life got hard, like really hard. See, by the time I reached middle school, I'd been diagnosed with several syndromes. I struggled in school. I was bullied relentlessly. And I, I honestly wondered when God was going to start blessing me for all the good things that I'd done to earn his favor. But then came a point when I almost took my own life out of discouragement and frustration. But God knew that. And right around this time, I was invited to a Bible camp where I met Christians who were overflowing with the love and the joy of Christ, so much so that I couldn't ignore it. And listen, at the end of the week, I actually asked my youth pastor why these Christians at this camp were so different from the ones I'd grown up with back home. Because for the first time in my life, it was explained to me that God so badly wants a covenant relationship with me that he sent his son Jesus to prove it. Listen, I gave my life to Jesus that night. Since then, my life has been changed beyond measure. And maybe this is the first time you're hearing about that covenant relationship with God yourself. And, and maybe it's time to have a little DTR with the Lord. Listen, don't waste another minute doing life apart from Jesus. If he gave his life to die for you, why not give your life to live for him? Come on, every single campus, can we bow our heads and pray together? I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. If today throughout this message it became a reality to you that maybe your relationship with God looks more like religion than a relationship or maybe it was simply inherited but never chosen, I want to give you a chance today to go all in, to say, Jesus, let me just determine the relationship I have with you. I want a deeply meaningful covenant relationship with you. If you're saying yes to that today, would you silently pray this with me in your heart? Nothing fancy about these words, nothing coercive, just a way of telling Jesus what's happening in the hearts. Maybe just say this, God, thank you for sending Jesus to show how much you love me. Thank you that he forgave my sin and gave me a way to be free. Today, I choose to trust your intel. I turn to you for rescue. And I want to live out my faith as though there were a hook in me. So take my life, forgive me, and thank you for the relationship that from this day forward, I'm able to have with you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.